Uh, each of the various countries that we come from have their own national holidays. So the United States, one of our holidays is the 4th of July or Independence Day in which we celebrate the day that we declared independence as a nation. If my brief internet research is correct, which, you know, it's the internet, so it may not be, both India and the Philippines also celebrate their own independence days. So does Uganda. Kenya has Madaraka Day and Jamori Day. Sorry for the pronunciation, Chochos, I'm sure that's not right. Uh, both of which seem to have something to do with the establishment of Kenya as an independent country. Well, many national holidays, and particularly those that celebrate independence, are reminders of certain events in that nation's history, important events in that nation's history. The holidays that are celebrated year after years are annual memorials to those important events in the history of the nation that help the citizens of the country remember their history, uh, they help to, to teach the younger generations of those countries about the history of those nations. And so the, the annual celebrations of these holidays help to form a national identity. It teaches the people where they came from, how the country was formed. And so these celebrations are reminders of those things that unite the citizens of those nations together. The events that those people have in common, they help to form the people into one nation. Well, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 11. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 11 all the way through Exodus 12, verse 28. Uh, over the next couple of weeks, in fact, we are, going to be we are going to be studying Israel's deliverance from Egypt. And so this morning we're going to see the final plague that God inflicts on the people of Egypt, the death of the firstborn, and the beginning of Israel's departure from Egypt as they actually begin to leave Egypt. But what I want you to see is that the chapters that we are going to be studying the next two weeks, and particularly this week, they devote more attention to the ways in which Israel was to remember God's deliverance year after year, than they devote to the actual deliverance itself. The focus of the text is on the ways in which Israel is to remember what God has done, and it's less about what actually God does. God institutes memorials by which the people are to remember his mercy. Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. As we will see next week, there is the consecration of the firstborn. Well, they all have something to do with the events that we're going to be reading about these next two weeks as well. Like the national holidays our various countries celebrate, these memorials were intended to help the people both remember what God had done, to remember the events of the Passover and his deliverance, to remember God's work, but it was also to help form them into a people, a people united around the deliverance that God accomplished on their behalf. They were to be united by the fact that they were the people God had redeemed from Egypt by his mighty acts. So the main idea of this text for this morning is that Israel was to memorialize their deliverance from Egypt in order to remember God's mighty works, but also to anticipate his greater work to come. Israel was to memorialize their deliverance from Egypt in order to remember God's mighty works, his deliverance on their behalf, but it was also to anticipate his greater work to come. And that greater work to come was the, was the rescue and redemption from sin that comes in Jesus Christ. And these chapters this morning teach so clearly about salvation that comes in Jesus Christ. 
how you might find mercy by repenting and placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And so really, in in many ways, the main application of these verses, the main thing that I want you to take away as we're walking through this text is that you'll have a greater understanding of and appreciation for Jesus' work on the cross, for the mercy that has been shown through Jesus' work on the cross. And so my prayer this morning is that more than anything, you'll leave marveling at Jesus and the salvation that comes through him. And so with that in mind, I have three points for today's sermon. The first is the judgment of God. The second is the mercy of God. And the third is the worship of God. The judgment of God, the mercy of God, and the worship of God. So first, we're going to consider God's judgment. I'm not going to spend much time on this point, but I want to briefly mention a couple of things about the last plague that we see announced in Exodus chapter 11. So look with me at Exodus chapter 11, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you out of here. Now announce to the people that both men and women should ask their neighbors for silver and gold items. The Lord gave the people favor with the Egyptians. In addition, Moses himself was very highly regarded in the land of Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and the people. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight I will go throughout Egypt, and every firstborn male in the land of Egypt will die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the firstborn of the servant girl who is at the grindstones, as well as every firstborn of the livestock. Then there will be a great cry of anguish through all the land of Egypt, such as never was before or ever will be again. But again, all the Israelites, whether people or animals, not even a dog will snarl, so that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come down to me and bow before me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. After that I will get out. And he went out from Pharaoh's presence, fiercely angry. The Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go out of his land. So chapter 11, this conversation between Pharaoh and Moses is really a continuation of the conversation that was going on between Moses and Pharaoh in chapter 10. It's really the conclusion of Moses' conversation with Pharaoh from chapter 10. It is Moses' really his last word to Pharaoh. Uh, Through Moses, God announced his final and most severe plague against Egypt so far, that every firstborn in the land of Egypt would die, to include the firstborn of Pharaoh himself, all the way down to even the firstborn of the livestock that belonged to the Egyptians. And this plague, like, like all the other plagues that we have studied, was God's judgment on Pharaoh, And it was God's judgment on Egypt for both their oppression of Israel for the the years of of hard and bitter slavery that they had given, inflicted on the people of Israel. But also, as as we've seen over and over on on Pharaoh's refusal to listen and obey the Lord. And we really find a summary of what has been going on throughout all the plagues in verses 9 and 10. It's like a summary statement that we are provided. Pharaoh will not listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Uh, it's a summary of, of all the plagues that Moses and Aaron come announce. Pharaoh will not listen, and so God's judgment falls. God's patience with Egypt was at an end. And as we so often see throughout the Bible, the penalty of sin 
is death. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. And friends, this is not just the judgment for Pharaoh. It's not just the judgment of Egypt and for the firstborns. This is, is true of all people. It is the judgment that, that all people deserve for their sin, for the wages of sin is death. And so friends, if, if you are with us this morning and you're not a Christian, we're so grateful to have you with us. But you should let these verses serve as a warning to you that God's patience with you will one day end as well. Life may be good for you right now. Things may seem like they're going to go on the same each and every day for all eternity. But one day your life will come to an end. And one day God's patience with you will be at an end. God's word, his command to repent and believe cannot be endlessly refused without consequence. We've seen that over and over again as we have studied through the plagues that God inflicts on Egypt. Well, as... As is always true, we see in these verses that God's judgment always accomplishes his purpose. God's judgment always accomplishes his purposes. It always displays his glory. This final plague that God inflicts on Egypt will humble and humiliate Pharaoh. And notice what Moses says in verse 8. He tells Pharaoh that all these officials of yours will come down to me and bow before me saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. This following on the heels of, of Pharaoh's pride that we thought about a couple of weeks ago when we thought about the, the, the few plagues that preceded this one. But now Moses is telling Pharaoh that all the officials, all Pharaoh's officials, will at least outwardly, if not from the heart, they'll at least outwardly acknowledge the sovereignty of God. They will come down and bow to Moses instead of Pharaoh and beg the people of Israel to leave. It's not just the officials of Pharaoh either. Notice that God will give Pharaoh to all of Israel among the Egyptians. They're going to go ask their neighbors for gold and silver. Those neighbors are going to give it to them in the hopes that that will cause them to leave. And we see in these verses that Moses himself has come to be esteemed in the eyes of Egypt. Something of the fear of the Lord has been transferred to Moses in the eyes of the people of Egypt. The, the point of all these things, if we were to take all those things together, is that God and his people triumph. And as we will see next week, this judgment of God, this final plague, will leave Pharaoh to drive the people of Israel out of Egypt. They've been asking to go for three days to worship God in the wilderness, but Pharaoh will come and tell the people of Israel, just go, leave, do not return. Deliverance will finally be accomplished. God always accomplishes his purposes and he always fulfills his promises. God's judgment accomplishes his purposes. But what I do not want you to miss about this terrible judgment that fell on the Egyptians as we think about this, really this, this horrific judgment that falls on the nation of Egypt, this death of the firstborn. Well, it is the, the same punishment that God inflicted on his own son. This is the judgment that was, was given or that, that Jesus suffered on our behalf. Brothers and sisters, the ultimate deliverance of God's people came by Jesus enduring the penalty that you and I deserved on the cross. It came by enduring the penalty that we see God inflict on Egypt in these verses. Romans 8.32, He, God, did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything. 
And so, brothers and sisters, as you consider the, the horror of the firstborn of an entire country dying in one night, I just picture the firstborn of everyone in the UAE dying in an evening. But do not forget that this is the penalty that Jesus took in your place. This is the penalty that Jesus, who was perfect and did not do anything to deserve that judgment, he took that judgment in your place. Brothers and sisters, that is a reality that should humble you and cause you to marvel at your Savior. It should cause you to marvel at God. Jesus suffered and died that you might receive God's mercy. And that takes us to the second point of the sermon, and that is the mercy of God. I just thought about the judgment of God, but, but now we're going to get to think about the mercy of God. I'm going to read Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 28 in just a second, which, which really deals with the Passover and how the people of Israel are to memorialize and remember God's deliverance and the fact that this death of the firstborn that God inflicts on Egypt does not fall on them. But as I read through the text, I want you to pay attention to all the commands that are included in this text. Notice how many times in Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 28, that God says the people of Israel must do something or tells them you are or you are not to do something. And these verses are full of commands for God's people. And the point, brothers and sisters, is that God, not you, defines how you might receive mercy. God, not you, defines the means of mercy, the way of mercy. God, not you, defines how he is to be worshipped, how he is to be memorialized, and how he is to be remembered. And brothers and sisters, this is why we place such an emphasis on the word of God, why we turn to God's word each and every week as we gather together. It is his word, not our, our feelings or not our emotions or not anything else. That is the only rule of faith and practice. And we go to God's word to see how we might worship him. We go to God's word to see how we might find his mercy and his salvation. And so follow along as I read in Exodus 12, verses 1 through 28. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month is to be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's families, one animal per family. If the household is too small for a whole animal, that person and the neighbor nearest his house are to select one based on the combined number of people. You should apportion the animal according to what each will eat. You must have an unblemished animal, a year old. You may take it from either the sheep or the goats. You are to keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animal at twilight. They must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses where they eat them. They are to eat the meal that night. They should eat it, roasted over the fire, along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or cooked in boiling water, but only roasted over fire, its head as well as its legs and inner organs. You must not leave any of it until morning. Any part of it left until morning, you must burn. Here is how you must eat it. You must be dressed for travel. Your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You are to eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. 
When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you or to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day is to be a memorial for you, and you must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statue. You must eat unleavened bread for seven days. On the first day, you must remove yeast from your houses. Whoever eats what is leavened from the first day through the seventh day must be cut off from Israel. You are to hold a sacred assembly on the first day and another sacred assembly on the seventh day. No work may be done on those days except for preparing what people need to eat. You may do only that. You are to observe the festival of unleavened bread. Because on this very day, I brought your military divisions out of the land of Egypt. You must observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent statue. You are to eat unleavened bread in the first month from the evening of the 14th day of the month until the evening of the 21st day. Yeast must not be found in your houses for seven days. If anyone eats something leavened, that person, whether a resident alien or a native of the land, must be cut off from the community of Israel. Do not eat anything leavened. Eat unleavened bread in all your homes. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go, select an animal from the flock according to your families and slaughter the Passover animal. Take a cluster of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and brush the lintel and the two doorposts with some of the blood in the basin. None of you may go out of the door of his house until morning. When the Lord passes through to strike Egypt and sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, he will pass over the door and not let the destroyer enter your houses to strike you. Keep this command permanently as a statute for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, you are to observe this ceremony. When your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? You are to reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians. And he spared our homes so the, so the people knelt low and worshipped. Then the Israelites went and did this. They did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. Well, as soon as God pronounced judgment on the nation of Egypt, that he pronounced this judgment to Pharaoh that all the firstborn in the nation of Egypt would die. Well, just as soon as he announced that judgment, he immediately provided a means for Israel to receive his mercy. As immediately as he pronounced judgment, he provided a means for Israel to receive mercy. But one of the most important things, perhaps the most important thing to understand about the mercy that God extended to Israel here, uh, the, the deliverance from suffering this death of the firstborn, is that the people of Israel were deserving of the same judgment as the people of Egypt. They were deserving of the exact same thing. The same judgment that the people of Egypt received, the death of the firstborn, would be experienced by the people of Israel unless they acted in faith and they followed the instructions that the Lord gives here for, for killing a one-year-old unblemished lamb and painting the blood of that lamb on the doorpost and the lintels of their home. The Israelites were sinners too, and they were just as deserving of God's judgment. And the wages of sin is death. Friends, what the Bible teaches over and over again, and what I hope you hear me emphasizing week after week, is that all people are deserving of God's judgment and God's wrath because all people have sinned. But God, but God in his great mercy and his great grace has provided the way by which you might find mercy. And that is the, the substitutionary and the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Friends, this is the good news of the gospel. 
If you are a Christian, know that you are not saved because you deserve it, but because God has been gracious and provided a way and means to be forgiven. He has extended mercy. Well, I believe this, this truth means that the Egyptians themselves could have presumably taken hold of God's mercy and placed blood on their doorposts. The Bible does not say that, that any of the Egyptians did this. The Bible does not even say if the Egyptians knew of these instructions from the Lord. But Exodus 12, 38, we will look at this next week, does tell us a mixed crowd, which I believe included Egyptians, departed Egypt along with Israel. Israel, along with a mixed crowd of other peoples, departed Egypt. Later in chapter 12, God gives instructions about how those who were not Israelites could observe the Passover in future years, in future generations. I think the point was that judgment was deserved by all. Egypt and Israel alike, judgment was deserved by all. But mercy was available to all. Judgment was deserved by all, but mercy was available to all. Again, this points you forward to the cross and the the blood of Jesus, which redeems people from every tribe and tongue and nation who place their faith in him. Salvation is freely offered to all. But it's not just this fact that judgment is deserved by all, but mercy is available to all that points you forward to the cross. I want you to see that even the details of the Passover point you to Jesus. I want you to see and marvel at your Savior, Jesus Christ, even as we review the details of the Passover. So in brief summary, God's instruction here for the people of Israel, how they might not receive the death of the firstborn, was that they were to take a year-old lamb or a year-old goat, one that was spotless, without blemish. It was perfect and pure outwardly. They were to, to sacrifice it, and they were to take the blood of that animal and pay them painted on the doorpost of their home, the lintel of the home, which is like the top part of the doorframe. And when the destroyer passed through the land of Egypt, he would see that blood and he would pass over the homes of the Israelites. And so God commanded that this sheep or goat from the flock that the people of Israel were to take, uh, they were, they were to, to take this sheep or goat from their own flock. And in that, we see this fact that mercy was costly. It did not come free. The Israelites had to sacrifice one of their own animals. They were to continue to do this year after year. Just think about how many sheep or how many goats were sacrificed on that night. Mercy was costly. The Christian, just as we thought about it a few moments ago, mercy was costly for you. God sacrificed his own son for your salvation. This lamb or this, this goat, as we see in Verses 5 and 6 of chapter 12, it had to be unblemished. In other words, it had to have no imperfections, but be a, a spotless or a pure lamb, both outwardly and as best as the Israelites could tell, inwardly. I think that's why they were to select it on the 10th day of the month, but not sacrifice it until the 14th day of the month. And they got to have this lamb or a goat around for four days to make sure it was truly uh, perfect and that it didn't have some hidden disease that was going to be pretty obvious. It was to be a, a year-old male as well. As well. Now, why the reason for these instructions? Well, the, the unblemished lamb or goat pointed to God's own perfection, his own greatness. Uh, only what is perfect and only what is pure is worthy of him and acceptable to him. 
a pure and unblemished sacrifice is needed. Uh, the fact that it was a year-old male was to represent the fact that it was a substitute sacrifice for the firstborn males of Israel. The lamb was a, a substitute for the people of Israel. The lamb was slain, so their firstborn was not slain. It was a, a substitutionary sacrifice. That is to say that it was a sacrifice that stood in their place. And when the lamb was sacrificed, its blood was to be spread over the lintel and the doorpost. Now, this is the part of the Passover that only happened on that one night in Egypt. Uh, going forward, the people of Israel did not continue to paint the blood on the doorpost, but these other parts of the, the Passover that we see mentioned in the text, they continue to do year after year. It was part of a remembrance or a memorial. But notice what is written in, in chapter 12, verse 13, and chapter 12, verse 23. It is the blood of this lamb or this goat that will be the distinguishing mark for the Israelites. It is when the, the destroyer or the Lord sees the blood that he will pass over the homes. It was not anything about the Israelites it's themselves. The Lord did not pass over these homes. The destroyer did not pass over these homes because they were Israelite homes. The Lord knew who the Israelites were. He had been making distinctions already in the plagues that he was inflicting. The darkness did not come to the land of Goshen. Hail did not come to the land of Goshen. Previously, Israelite livestock had not died. But it was the blood that was to be the distinguishing mark. The Lord did not choose to pass over just because it was an Israelite home. But only if those houses had been covered with the blood of the Lamb. Now, brothers and sisters, these details of the Passover point forward in a glorious and amazing way to the sacrificial and the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ on the cross. So I hope these details will help you marvel at your Savior. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. For you know that you, Christian, were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold. You did not pay to be redeemed. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul calls Jesus our Passover lamb. Friends, Jesus was the perfect lamb of God. He came to earth and, and lived among us. He lived as a man, but he was without sin. When he was tempted, he did not sin. He was perfect and pure and unblemished. And it was only because Jesus is and was perfect and, and pure and unblemished that he could serve as a substitutionary sacrifice for guilty sinners. Christian, Jesus is your Passover lamb. And it's only because of the blood of Jesus that you can be forgiven of your sins. There is no other way of forgiveness. It is not your good works. It is not Jesus plus the good that you do that saves you. It is only the spilled blood of Jesus on the cross that is a means to find God's mercy. As Peter wrote, you were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. He is your Passover lamb. Brothers and sisters, marvel at your Savior. Marvel at his perfect life and his substitutionary and sacrificial death on the cross on your behalf. It was not just the, the selection, the killing of the lamb that came with a list of instructions here, but the, the eating of the lamb came with instructions as well. The Israelites were to eat the lamb with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. 
The bitter herbs were reminders of the hard and bitter years of slavery and suffering that Israel endured in Egypt. The unleavened bread pointed to the haste in which Israel left Egypt. There was no time for the, the yeast in the bread to go to work and rise. I'm not a baker, but I'm pretty sure that yeast has to stay in bread for a length of time. Hours, many times days before the, before the bread will, will rise. But the people of Israel were going to be delivered in a moment. They were going to be delivered suddenly. They were to eat it, ready for travel. They were to have no leaven in their home. They were going to be driven out that very night. Now, these very specific commands that God gave the people of Israel concerning the Passover served a purpose. They were the means by which they were to find mercy. They had to paint the blood over the door. It had to be the blood of a perfect and pure and spotless lamb. But these instructions also taught the people about the Lord. They taught the people about God's holiness. They taught them about their own sin and their own need for the mercy of the Lord. And these elements were designed to remind the Israelites of God's deliverance as they celebrated the Passover year after year after year. And ultimately, and most importantly, these details pointed to the greater sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the greater redemption that was to come for the people of God in him. Remember that main idea. Israel was to memorialize their deliverance from Egypt in order to remember God's mighty works, to remember his deliverance from Egypt, but also to anticipate his greater work to come, the work that he did in Jesus Christ. But before we move to the last point of the sermon, there is one more thing that I do not want you to miss about the mercy of God in these verses. And that is that the people had to take hold of it by faith. The people had to take hold of God's mercy by faith. Following God's instructions, selecting the the right lamb, sacrificing it, taking the, the blood of the lamb and spreading it on the doorpost and the lintel of the home cooking and eating it in just the right way, being dressed and prepared for travel. Well, these were all acts of faith by the people of Israel to to do this. They were acts of faith that God would truly protect them. I mean, imagine the suspense of the people of Egypt, knowing that a destroyer is passing through the land of Egypt, putting to death all the firstborn of the land. Is this blood going to be protection from... Is this blood going to truly protect the firstborn, our firstborn sleeping in this bed next to us? Following these instructions, obeying the word of the Lord was an act of faith that God would truly deliver them, both deliver them from the destroyer passing through the land, but ultimately deliver them from the land of Egypt. Friends, this is the the same way that you take hold of the mercy offered through Jesus. If you are here and you are, are not a Christian, if you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, know that in order to be covered by the blood of Jesus, In order to be forgiven, in order to escape the wrath of God, you must act in faith. You must confess that Jesus alone is the way of salvation, that his blood alone can cover your sins, and you must repent and place your faith in him. You must confess the wrong that you have done, turn from your wrongdoing, turn from your sins, and act in another way. You must act in faith to take hold of God's mercy. And Christian, even for you, even after you have been saved and redeemed, what are you called to do? You're called to walk by faith and not by sight. Faith that God will keep his promises. 
faith that redemption has truly been accomplished for you, even though you will wait its fulfillment, the time when you go to be with the Lord. Faith that Jesus will come again and one day call you home. And faith that God is truly powerful enough to save The faith of the Israelites was to be reaffirmed and renewed and strengthened year after year after year as they celebrated the Passover. They were to continually worship the Lord by remembering God's deliverance. And that takes us to the last point of the sermon, which is the worship of the Lord. The first thing I want you to notice about this is that the Lord announced in Exodus chapter 12, verse 2, that the Passover would be the beginning of months for Israel. It would now be the first month of their year. Their whole calendar, I don't remember what their calendar was before, but their whole calendar was being shifted. This is now the first month of the year. The Passover was Israel's salvation event. It was the point in which they were truly formed into a people and particularly formed into the people of God. It is something like their Independence Day, their 4th of July, whatever those days were that we we call them in Kenya. Uh, More than anything else, it is what united them as the people of God. Brothers and sisters, what is it that unites the church? What is it that unites us together as the people of God? It's the fact that we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That is what unites us as the people of God, that we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So going forward, the nation's whole calendar, its whole national life was to revolve around God's deliverance from Egypt. The night when he spared their firstborn and the night when he saved and delivered them from Egypt. And so in remembrance of God's deliverance, the Israelites were to celebrate a festival to the Lord every year going forward as a permanent statue. Kind of like a national holiday. It's a little confusing in the text or perhaps unclear, but there are actually two ceremonies the people of Israel were to celebrate that we see in this text. First was to be the annual celebration of the Passover. So they were to eat the Passover meal. This is what Maricon read for us about in Mark 14. Jesus and his disciples, they're celebrating the Passover meal. But the second was the seven-day feast of unleavened bread. See it mentioned in Exodus 12, 15, Exodus 12, 17. The feast of unleavened bread was connected to the Passover, but it particularly remembered Israel's hasty departure from Egypt. That's why they were to eat unleavened bread, if you remember. So Passover served as something like the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but it's kind of two separate memorials that are, that are connected at the hip. You have Passover, you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, both remembering an aspect of God's deliverance from Egypt. One of the late-night comedy shows in the United States, it's not on the air anymore, It had a a segment or a skit, something that they would continually come back to, where the host of this comedy show would go out on the streets of Los Angeles. That's where they filmed the show. He'd go out on the streets of Los Angeles, and he would ask ordinary people, ordinary Americans, very simple questions about American history, or maybe about geography or something else. Things that like a second grader or a third grader should be able to answer. Now, I'm sure that many of the people that were were, were asked these questions as this guy went out to the streets of Los Angeles were able to answer the questions correctly. But they never showed those people on TV. They only showed those who could not answer very basic questions, like the the name of the, the first president of the United States, the name of the country that the United States won its independence from, Uh, the people who could not find, like Canada or France, on a map. Uh, You know, Canada borders the U.S., but there were people who could not find it on a map. 
Now, you are very embarrassed for these people. It, it's kind of humiliating. And you also want to laugh at them at the same time. That's why it's on the, the comedy show. Now, friends, Israel was to, to celebrate these feasts year after year. Uh, so when someone a few generations later, or maybe someone who was visiting the nation of Israel, asked a child in Israel, why do you celebrate Passover? What country were the people of Israel, Israel rescued from? What happened in Egypt? And those, it was so those later generations would not be like the people interviewed by that late night TV host, staring at a camera, unable to answer, and being laughed at. Friends, they were to celebrate this year after year so that the nation of Israel would not forget the mighty works of the Lord. That the nation of Israel would not forget God's deliverance of them. Look down at, at chapter 12, verses 24 through 27. The Lord specifically emphasized that Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were not just for that generation, but for the future generations as well. When your, child, when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? You are to reply, it is the Passover sacrifice for, to the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and he spared our homes. Now, this is why Passover was celebrated year after year. So future generations would come to know the Lord as the mighty God who redeemed his people just like he promised. Now, parents, this should be a reminder to you of the importance of teaching your own children about the truths of the gospel, about deliverance that comes in Jesus Christ. Oh, we're going to think about that more next week as this command to teach children is emphasized in the verses next week as well. But for now, I want you to see that God instituted these festivals to help the people remember. And so that he might be remembered in future generations. Israel might, re -remember, what, might remember what united them. God's deliverance of them. Well, several weeks ago, we spent a whole sermon thinking about the importance of Christians remembering and being reminded of God's grace. You can go back and listen to that sermon from Exodus chapter 6 if you want. So I don't want to spend much time on it here, but I do want to remind you that much of the Christian life is simply remembering what God has done for you. It's to remember the way that God has fulfilled his promises. It's to remember the grace that has been given to you because of the death of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, the fuel for your obedience, if you want to live a holy life, which God calls you to do, the fuel for that obedience and the fuel for that holiness is to remember God's mercy that he displayed and the forgiveness that you have been given because of the cross of Jesus Christ. It is to remember that your greatest need has been met at Jesus Christ. How do you find contentment, brothers and sisters? To remember that God has done much more for you than what you deserve. How do you forgive others? It's to remember that you have forgiven, been forgiven much more than you will forever forgive other people. Oh, well, how do you fight anxiety in your life? It's to remember that God has redeemed you from your sins, that he has promised that one day he will call you home, that he is the sovereign Lord of the universe. It's to remember and place your faith in the promises of Scripture. Now, brothers and sisters, this is the, one of the reasons that God has designed the church to gather week after week, and that he calls Christians to be at the church week after week, because we need to remember we're forgetful people and we need to remember. Much of Christian discipleship is to remind one another of God's grace and mercy that has been given. It's simply to remind one another of the truths of the Bible. Brothers and sisters, my prayer is that you will regularly meet with fellow brothers or sisters outside of this regular weekly gathering because you need it. 
you need to be reminded. We gather week after week to remind one another, but we gather in our homes. We get together for coffee. Maybe you get together in a men and women's discipleship group in order to teach one another and remind one another and be reminded of yourself, of God's grace to you. That is at the heart of Christian discipleship is to remember the works of the Lord. There is a saying that those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. Those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. Well, God instituted these festivals to help the people remember and to continually place their faith in him. Unfortunately, if you know anything about the history of Israel, you know that though they celebrated the festivals, though they celebrated these festivals, Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they forgot the God of the festivals. They became empty rituals that the people performed without their hearts truly being in it. And friends, that's because Passover did not ultimately deal with the problem of sin. At Passover, God rescued his people from their slavery to Egypt, but the people were not rescued from their slavery to sin. Passover and the Exodus freed people from their bondage to Pharaoh, but it did not free people from their bondage to sin. We get hints of this reality in the text. That central command of the Feast of Unleavened Bread was that the people were to have no leaven or yeast in their homes for that week. Unleavened bread was was first and foremost a reminder of the people's hasty departure from Egypt. But throughout the Bible, leaven is also used as a picture of sin. As one author put it, the people of Israel were were to eat unleavened bread to underscore, to emphasize the conviction that impurity and corruption, sometimes symbolized by leaven in the Bible, disqualifies persons from religious services. The whole household must be pure and clean of heart. Thus all yeast must be removed from the entire house. So those who did not obey this command to have no unleavened bread in in their home or no yeast in their home for that week were to be cut off from the people of Israel. Well, writing much later, the Apostle Paul applies this to the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Writing to the church, he says, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as indeed you are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us observe the feast not with the old leaven or with the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Friends, Paul is writing in the context of of church discipline. He's writing to the church corporately and explaining to the church what they are to do if someone in the church begins to live a life of of serious sin and that that person is unwilling to repent of that sin. Paul says that in the same way someone who would not remove the leaven from their home was to be cut off from the people of Israel, someone who will not remove their sin from their life, that they will not turn in confession and repentance, is to be cut off or excommunicated from the church. Now, Why? Because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You sprinkle a little yeast in the dough, it leavens the whole lump. Untreated sin spreads to others. It tempts others towards sin. It corrupts the church. Just as those who did not follow the Lord in faith and remove the leaven from their homes was going to tempt the rest of the nation of Israel to do the same thing. Church, the point of this is that your response to your collective salvation your individual salvation, but our collective salvation as the people of God is to clean out the leaven, to put it away. 
Brothers and sisters, that is true for the church, but it's also true for your individual lives. The proper response to God's work of redemption in your own personal life is to pursue holiness, to remove the leaven of sin from your life, to seek to live holy because God is holy. How can you do this? How can we as a church do this? It's by remembering the pain and devastation and burden of your own sin. During Passover, Israel was to eat bitter herbs to remind them of their bitter and hard years of slavery in Egypt. Well, as we will see, it, it does not take Israel long to forget those bitter and hard years. In just two weeks, as Israel is on the verge of the Red Sea and, and the nation of Egypt chases after them to, to bring them back, uh, Israel despairs and they ask that they might return to Egypt. And they say, it wasn't so bad in Egypt. We want to go back. Uh, this threat of Pharaoh chasing after us is too much. Throughout their history, over and over again, as Israel wanders in the wilderness before they go into the promised land, they desire to return to Egypt. They forget their suffering in Egypt. And almost as soon as they leave, they want to abandon God and return. Well, Christian, brothers and sisters, how are you doing remembering the bitter pain of your former bondage to sin? When trials and tribulations come, do you want to return to your former pattern of life? you want to abandon the Lord and just make life easier by returning to a life of sin? Are you quick to forget? Are you eager to give in to temptation and indulge your sinful desires because fighting against them is just hard? Brothers and sisters, you were called to clean out the old leaven and be holy. And you can do this by remembering Remembering God's grace and the pain of your former bondage to sin. Remember your former life and what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Well, as Marikon read a few minutes ago, it was Passover that Jesus and his disciples were celebrating the night when Jesus was betrayed and arrested. At the Last Supper, as Jesus and his disciples were remembering God's redemption from Egypt, this is what Luke records Jesus saying to his disciples. And then Jesus said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Well, Jesus here identified the unleavened bread with his body and told the disciples that they were now to celebrate Passover in remembrance of him, not their exodus from Egypt. Did you catch that? Well, it's amazing. Jesus tells his disciples here at the Last Supper, no longer celebrate Passover in remembrance of the deliverance from Egypt. You are now to celebrate it in remembrance of me. Jesus was saying that his death would be like the death of the Passover lamb, that his, his blood would be spilled to, to cover the blood of his disciples, of the people who repented of their sins and placed their faith in Jesus. So when God's judgment comes, when God's end-time judgment comes, when Jesus returns, those people will be spared from the wrath of God because it would have been spilled on Jesus instead. God would accomplish a new and better exodus for his people. He would forgive and rescue them from their sins. Brothers and sisters, just like Israel was given the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, 
to remember God's redemption from Egypt, the fact that God passed over them. We have been given a regular way to remember God's redemption of us. We've been given the Lord's Supper. God has given his church the the Lord's Supper to remember his deliverance of them. Brothers and sisters, the Lord's Supper we will take in just a moment is a Passover meal. That is what it is. We're not celebrating deliverance from Egypt. We're celebrating deliverance from sin. God's firstborn, Jesus Christ, was sacrificed in our place. It is a memorial to God's mercy, a reminder of what Jesus did for you on the cross. Taking the Lord's Supper is designed to reaffirm and strengthen your faith as you are reminded of these great truths. So friends, as we take the Lord's Supper in just a moment, remember that it is a memorial to God's mercy. It is a memorial to Jesus' sacrificial and atoning death on the cross. It is a call for you to remember that he has redeemed you. It is a call for you to pursue holiness. And it is a call for you to marvel at your Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.